Fortean. Hello, everybody, and welcome to show 129 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And if I've learned one thing from watching many, many hours of John Cusack movies, it's that if John Cusack is staying at a hotel or motel, you want to find a different hotel or motel. I know, right? He's, he's like a like a male Angela Lansbury. <laughs> yeah, but Wait, only what? when it comes to like hotels and motels. <laughs> what death follows him is what that means. Male Angela Lansbury. Well, everywhere that that she goes in murder, she wrote someone dies. Perhaps she was the murderer. That's what I think. She wrote. I think not. She was the original Dexter. Wow, that would actually be a really messed up show there. <laughs> Now we got a all remake right. planned. All right, let's all pitch right. this to ABC. Cool. So, all right. So, if in case you hadn't picked up on the, all the uh, Angela Lansbury talk, <laughs> <laughs> we are doing a profile of Angela Lansbury. Yeah, right now. that's exactly what we're doing. Uh, no, John Cusack. 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 In the uh, we're putting this in the about friggin' time uh, file. Because it's 129 shows, and we have not talked about any of uh, John Cusack's movies, even though all of us, I am going to say, are fans. Some more than others, but yeah, we're all fans. Yeah. Assessment, yeah. I, myself, am a huge fan of John Cusack. I'm right in the middle. I'm a big fan. Um, I could take him or leave him. I mean, I'm a fan. I don't dislike him. Yeah. Go on. Yeah, I'm I'm probably on the opposite end of Mike with regards to our spectrum. Hmm. All right, so let's get into some listener feedback. Well, before that, do we want to talk about what you could do if you were wanting to hear about geek culture then and now, Saturdays at noon? No. Nope. <laughs> well, damn it, I'm talking about Geek Life Radio. Curse you and your plugs. Josh's hair is natural. <laughs> and my plugs listen to Geek Life Radio, where you can find us in between stick twiddlers and turnbuckle throwbacks. Noon on Saturdays. Indeed. And if you'd like to check out our archives, you can always do that uh, by navigating to iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, or TalkShoe, where TalkShoe has all of the shows, and uh, almost all the shows are up on all the services now. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, when Josh says navigate, he means just, like, point your browser at these things. No, not like I mean get a, charts. Yeah, and charts and sextants and that sort of yes. thing. You know? And if you want to call us and uh, let us know if you have an idea for a show or anything like that, just give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Orienteering. That was the joke. Orienteering, yes. Yeah, I couldn't think of the damn word. I had a joke in my head I was going to use. Yes, we talked I, about orienteering like two weeks ago. Yeah, I know, and I was going to like pull a deep cut kind of thing, but it just like, it didn't come to me. What orienteering? Uh, too soon. Are you oh, done? I had, Can I, I talk about the email address now? If you'd like to remind Pat... If you'd like to remind Pat what orienteering is, you can do so at 40go14 at gmail.com or reach out to us at Twitter at 40go14. Right. Orienteering. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So listener feedback. Uh, we have an email, several tweets, and a voicemail. Yeah. You want to start out with the email? Yeah. Let's start out with the email. So, Mix it uh, up a bit. Astute listener, Martha Bueller Sullivan. Says, uh, hey guys, I loved your book show. As a librarian, I can't help but ask some follow-up questions. Uh-oh, shit. Uh-oh. Um, no, she didn't write that. Uh, as kids, did any of you ever get in trouble for reading? I had one memori- memorable? Memorable. Well, shit. I've discovered, <laughs> remember I've been talking about how three beers is perfect? One's gonna be fun. Well, I've had one bottle of wine, so. Oh, boy. Uh, so one experience as a fifth grader where I got caught reading in between spelling test questions. <laughs> Wow, that's also weird. known as cheating. Yeah, it honestly did not occur to me why I got into got into trouble until I was an adult. 
Uh, are any of you obligation finishers? If you are reading a book and not enjoying it, do you feel obligated to finish what you started, or can you put it down and walk away? Personally, I think there are too many good books in the world to waste time on something that sucks. But I know a lot of people who can't stop a book in the middle. Also, I was a little sad graphic novels didn't get any love in the episode, especially since I know Josh is doing the 52 Comics and 2016 Challenge with me, and Joe Dane. Are you a comic trade paperback reader? Any graphic novels that you've enjoyed recently? Thanks, guys. Looking forward to the next episode. Gross Point Blank is one of my favorite movies. Martha. It's a lot of questions, man. I, I think graphic I... novels could be their own show. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. And The Obligation Finishers reminds me <laughs> that I promised something in the first half of the book show that I failed to pay off. I uh, said that I would get back to talking about Stephen King's Dark Tower series. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Which I only finished out of obligation. Uh, that's really? a series that starts out super, super strong with uh, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. Like one of the best opening lines to a book. And the, by like book two's good, book three's okay, it kind of, and book four's good again. But by like five and six, it gets freaking weird. And like Stephen King starts appearing in his own book, and there are a couple of bad ones. But I was just like, you know, I've been working on this series for like two decades. When I finally got to the last one, I was like, I haven't enjoyed this for two books, but <laughs> I gotta finish it. And actually, the ending was all right. See, and that's just it. If you if you give up halfway, sometimes, and I found with film as much as anything else, uh, sometimes the finish ends up being better and makes the beginning make more sense or more worthwhile. So I, I'm I finish out of sheer. Yeah, I guess obligation is a good word, but I'm not persistence. A right. I've only I've only walked out of a couple of movies and stopped reading a couple of books in my life, but I'm getting a little more open to it as I get older. I am totally a quitter on the books. If I'm not enjoying a book, screw it. I'm done. It takes, yeah. I just have, I don't have a lot of time to read. And, I can see that. And if I'm going to read something, if I read the first four chapters and I'm like not digging it or I'm not getting it, in four chapters, if you can't get a groove going in your book, I'm, I'm done. I put it down. Don't think about it again until the next time I go to the library and I go, Ooh, look at the pretty picture on that book. <laughs> and then four <laughs> chapters in, I'm like, this sounds familiar. Wait a minute. I've stopped reading this before. Yes, exactly. Um, and for, uh, getting in trouble for reading, yes, all the time. Uh, under the covers with the flashlight, uh, I don't, I mean, not so much at school. I kind of got in trouble because uh, I went, I went to a Lutheran school and they were kind of weird on the whole, um, we talked about a little bit in the, uh, um, uh, Origins? No, not in the Origins show, in the, uh, uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books show that I got, because I did the ones with the dice, and during quiet reading time, when you suddenly hear dice rolling, <laughs> they're like, what are you doing? I, I need to roll. I have to fight the scorpion. I'm throwing bones. Leave me alone, woman. I'm on a roll. Yeah. So, but yes, I am not an obligation finisher. If I'm not enjoying a book, I put it down and walk away. I, I think that occasionally, if something drew you to the book, but you couldn't finish it, maybe over the years, like revisiting some of the ones you've quit on, if you have the time, might be worth it. Because I struggled like four or five times to finish Salem's Lot, another Stephen King one, and when I was finally finally soldiered through it, I actually enjoyed it. That's cool. what I'm talking about. So, um, but getting in trouble, uh, unless it was pornography, I was reading pornography. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Just I didn't, the articles. In trouble, and, and I'm a, I'm big on finishing because I don't want anybody to leave unsatisfied. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Okay. All right, so uh, time for a voicemail. <laughs> yeah, uh, here we go. Hey, fuckers! Hey, Charlie. Uh, I don't want to settle these. That's bet up. What the hell he, just happened? Did he turn into Max Headroom? I think he's on the speed. Is someone dead? What? <laughs> Everyone report in. 
Mike, reporting yes. in. Joel, reporting out. <laughs> so what? You got Josh. Stay on target. <laughs> so Charlie, thank you for that. Whatever that was. Yes. Do we have any other voicemails? No, I'm not actually sure that was once. Somewhere a splinter cell has been activated. Oh, my God. Here we go again. Do you have, like, the settings off or something? Charlie, I don't want to settle these. He's not exciting. You can speed up things. No, I I didn't do it. I didn't even preview it, obviously. Yeah. Well, Well, thank you, Charlie. If I I had it, I could slow it down. down. I I hope you enjoy your new life with the Borg. (laughs) (laughs) What about tweets? We had tweets, didn't we? I will not be ignored! <laughs> and we will remember you as that. <laughs> as you were. Yeah. I hope it gets to the shop and gets fixed. All right. So what about tweets? You said we had tweets. Yes, we did have tweets. Uh, people asking the question that was posed, I believe, by you earlier uh, about people's favorite John Cusack movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I- we got a bunch. Uh Let's see. Uh, from Nikki from New Zealand, she said, "Serendipity. It's okay if you want me to stop listening now." Aw, it's okay. <laughs> we would have given up on her earlier already on the boy band issue. So if we're gonna go, if we're gonna stick with her past that, she's fine now. Uh, Randall Holt said he was always partial to Gross Point Blank. Hmm. And uh, Annalise uh, from Dark Angels and Pretty Freaks agrees. Gross Point Blank. Gross Point Blank has a special place in my heart. I won't lie. Especially because right. I kill people for a living. <laughs> <laughs> he does. No, shh, don't tell. So anyway, um, is it about that time? Oh, it's totally about that time. All right. This weekend, music, <laughs> movies, <laughs> and TV. And that's a shame to throw away a perfectly good sports quote like that. <laughs> All right, so uh, <laughs> that is a great... Every time. Yeah, uh, we haven't heard the Josh uh, Dubstep remix in a while, so no. glad to hear it back, come back. Oh, yeah. So uh, this weekend, August 8th, 1986, that is the release of One Crazy Summer. Why we cho- Why did you go, why'd you go with uh, One Crazy Summer? Oh, I don't know. Okay, well, so that's good. good. All right, so music, 1986, The Glory of Love by Peter Cetera is the top song in the land. Uh, for some reason or another. Everybody was suffering from carbon monoxide poisoning, I think. Uh, Lionel Richie's Dancing on the Ceiling is released this week, along with Orgasmatron by Motorhead. Yes, Dancing on the Ceiling. (laughs) (laughs) Why is that song so good? (laughs) So, uh, movies, Aliens is the number one movie in America. Followed by The Karate Kid, More karate -er. <laughs> oh. You missed an important bit there. Yeah. What did I miss? Oh, Karate Kid 2. Roman numerals. Yeah, see, I should have known. Why would you do that? You know, I don't know Roman numerals. Karate Kid, damn it. More karate. Who put a question mark in the, on yeah. the, the Karate Kid 2. The Karate Kid. E! More karate. <laughs> the leg, Johnny, again. Uh, movies released this week include the aforementioned One Crazy Summer. Along with She's Gotta Have It, Stand By Me, and Transformers the Movie. You got the power. <laughs> you got the touch. <laughs> wow, we got uh, two of those that feature John Cusack. One that, uh, a director that we are going to talk about later with John Cusack and Transformers. Yep. Which, what does John Cusack transform into? He transforms into a cup of coffee with skim milk. Oh. And a Victrola. A Victrola? Victrola. Yeah, I know. From High Fidelity. 
Oh, okay. We'll roll with that then. Same oh. high fidelity thing. Got it. I thought it was some Italian guy. <laughs> hey, Vic. Uh, okay, Joel, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> you, on TV, The Cosby Show and Family Ties are the top two shows. Because it's the 80s. Yes. Meredith Baxter boobies. And mm-hmm. uh, August 13th, Rod Roddy becomes a permanent announcer of the long-running daytime game series. Uh-oh, acronym of the week is TPIR. That's a total penile inversion <laughs> ray. If you fail to answer the question, they shoot you with the ray and turn your dick inside out. Oh, oh, how topical. <laughs> That's of not going to feel good. Oh, God. No, that is uh, obviously the price is right. Oh, oh. apparently well, not so obvious. Replacing the deceased Johnny Olson. All right, so sports. On August 3rd, Wooly McCovey, Bobby Dore, Ernie Lombardi were inducted into the MLB Hall of Fame. True story. There you go. Yep. Uh, the Texas Rangers outscored the Baltimore Orioles 13-11 on August 7th in a game that featured a still record three grand slams in regulation innings. Wow. I bet I could eat more than that. <laughs> I was just thinking, man, I haven't had a grand slam in a long time. Uh, the, and how many moons over my hammies did they have? <laughs> oh, my God. I love moons over my hammy. That's Aren't good they delicious? Stuff. They are. Mm-hmm. Uh, Denny's, so, the place there, the water gives me gas. <laughs> Oh, that's so Waffle House. Mm. That's no, that joke. was Denny's. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the Orioles' bases loaded home runs were both hit in the fourth inning, the first by Larry Sheets and the other by Tim Jim Dwyer to break the major league record. Toby Hara hit his grand slam in the second inning for the Rangers. So the record was that only one with team. Two. There was a couple. There's a bunch of games with two. Really? That they came along and got three total. Oh, wow. Yeah, but like hitting a home run with the bases loaded, that does not happen very often. No. All right, so uh, Don Baylor gets hit by a pitch for a record 25th time in a season on August 12th. He was just a a fresh. (laughs) I'm like, they may be aiming for him. (laughs) It reminds me of the Cheers episode where Coach starts bragging about how he used to, like, perfect getting hit by a pitch so he could get on base. (laughs) Remember that one? No. Oh, they they get Shelly Duvall. He goes down to the pool room where you can't see the other end, and Shelly Duvall throws a ball. He's like, throw it anywhere. I'll I'll get hit by it. And she throws it down the hall, and you just hear this noise. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers was a great show. I wish we can, if anybody out there can think of something that we can equate to Cheers to the now. So I'm not doing that. So I am not doing (laughs) Cheers and Always Sunny in Philadelphia. (gasps) Two totally different types of sitcoms. Yeah. But they take place in a bar. More or yes. less. There are people. And yes, and they have drinks. And <laughs> they wear shirts. It's and everybody cool. has lips. They're half an hour each. Danny DeVito and Rhea Perman. They're married in real oh, life. Oh, Danny, Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito show. Yeah. All right. So, but now we are doing the main show. That was this weekend. Uh, so, John Cusack, born June 28th, 1966. He is a Chicagoan. He is born in Evanston, Illinois. Yeah, normally, as a longtime resident of the actual city of Chicago, I would uh, make a quibble about calling him a Chicagoan, but Evanston is practically Chicago. Evanston's pretty damn close. Yeah. Well, if you can still reach it by the, by, by the, the L, it's still Chicago. Well, and he is such a, like, uber supporter of all things Chicago that. Yeah. You gotta give him status, even though he's just a little outside. Yeah. He, make, he, he makes a lot of his movies film in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Um, High Fidelity, a lot of that was shot in Oak Park. In yep. fact, uh, okay, but story for later. Um, uh, Cusack graduated. <laughs> he just rewound himself. Yeah, rewound myself, and I apparently transformed into a Victrola. Uh, <laughs> hey, Vic. 
Cusack graduated from Evanston Township High School in 1984, where he met Jeremy Piven, and then spent a year at New York. And then he puked him out onto all of us. (laughs) (laughs) And put him in his movies a lot. Mm. And he spent a year at New York University and then dropped out, saying that he had too much fire in his belly. Huh. Hmm. I got a friend that has that, but that's just from drinking Fireball. I was going right. to say, you guys had that, but it was pretty much too much fire in your brain. I was going to say booty, but <laughs> same difference. Billy, booty. Billy, booty, same thing. All right, so Cusack is a fan of both the Chicago Cubs and the Chicago White Sox, for which he says he is in trouble in Chicago. I okay. can see that. Yeah. That's not, you don't, you can't play both sides. No. I mean, I don't tell Andy Dick that. You're, you're a fan of the Chicago White Sox or you live in the suburbs. so yeah um this this is actually what i think is the most interesting thing about him the kickboxing thing he is a like several degree black belt kickboxing guy he says that's his actually his most not i wouldn't say famous but that's his most um proud accomplishment i guess i've heard him say in a couple interviews um he trained in kickboxing under former world kickboxing champion benny Oh, thank you. Yeah, Urquidas. 20 years. He began training under him in preparation for his role in Say Anything and currently holds the rank of a level six black belt. Wow. And you, what is that? Ukido Dan? Or Urquidas. No, no, no. Ukido Dan. Oh, Ukido Dan. Oh, no. Ukido Kan. Ukido Kan. Yes. Isn't that what Ryu screams in Free Fighter? No. Ukido Kan! It's kind of close. <laughs> I, it would, it's interesting that, like, we've seen him act with uh, Wesley Snipes, and they're both, like, black belts. It would have been awesome if, like, on the set of Chirac, they had bust into a fight. It wouldn't have been appropriate for their characters, but... Maybe there's some behind-the-scenes stuff. Maybe they jacked around with each other a little. Wesley Snipes just called it a belt. <laughs> nah. Well, uh, he is also uh, very politically-minded. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, politically active, I'd say. Yeah, I think he falls under the libertarian belt. And uh, 2015, he thought up and organized a meeting with Edward Snowden, Daniel Ellsberg, and uh, Arunde Roy in Snowden's Moscow hotel room. One of the four of them all sat down and apparently had coffee and chatted up here. But uh, oh, they, they just played gin. Listen to Victrola, right? They played, char- <laughs> they played charades. Edward Snowden kept doing, uh, you know, backdoor and. We Stop. get it, Edward. Stop. Stop. All right, Stop. so... Wiki, wiki. Here's the thing. John Cusack has done a lot of movies, and we're not screwing around here. He has... Yeah, we could not possibly have seen them all. Right. And um, <clears throat> a lot of these movies were very much under the radar because they're, they're indie, indie stuff. I mean, he is very much the guy who does whatever comes across his plate. If he likes it, he'll do it, that sort of thing. He's, I mean, all over the platter on... Uh, Character-wise, I mean, whereas, like, you know, say John, uh, say, Cruz, Tom Cruise, has been playing pretty much the same character his entire life. Mm, I don't know that that's in true at all. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Keanu Reeves says. Keanu Reeves. Yeah, Keanu, sure. Okay, Keanu let's go Reeves. with Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves has been playing Ted uh, or Bill <laughs> for his entire life. John Whoa. Cusack very rarely is playing the same character in the next in the movie afterwards. I mean, the thing is, though, all his characters are, I think, one, they're flawed. He, he's very much in playing the flawed character, and two, his characters always, for some reason, are very, I mean, they're very grounded and very relatable. Yes, he is kind of an everyman. And he can, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. You see him on the screen, you're like, I could be that dude. I could be friends with that dude. 
I could well, listen to Victrola with that dude. Yeah, well, there's so <laughs> many, there's so many movies where you're like, I totally get it. I can completely, uh, you know, I I understand this one. I, you know, I could be him. I feel like I know what he's going through. Uh, his first movie was Class, where he played opposite Rob Lowe and Andrew McCarthy and Jacqueline Bisset. And uh, this was a pretty much a teen sex comedy. Yeah, I think I may have seen this, uh, but I'm not positive. It was I, almost I've, like an updated uh, The Graduate. Yeah, I kind vaguely of. remember it. Yeah. Because so, he plays he plays a guy who gets seduced by an older lady. Mm-hmm. I thought he got seduced by Rob Lowe. <laughs> so, and Doesn't then, everyone? Well, eventually. yeah. I mean, seriously. I He's just making the rounds, really. Uh, then after that, in 1984, 16 Candles, he played Bryce. All of us have seen 16 Candles, and he played a very small role in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just one of the background geeks. Yeah. Nobody's seen uh, 1984's Grandview USA. Where so, he played Johnny Maine. Yeah, opposite Jamie Lee Curtis and Patrick Swayze, and C. Thomas Howell. Why have we not seen this? Have you seen C. Know. Thomas Howell lately? Well, Holy this God. was before his I've fall. I've never heard of it. Oh my God, Jamie Lee Curtis, Patrick Swayze, C. Thomas Howell, Jennifer Jason Lee, Carol Cook, John Cusack, Joan Cusack, M. Emmett Walsh, Michael Winslow, Troy Donahue, and Steve Dahl. What? I like I like uh, C. Thomas Howell a lot because his name is a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shut Thanks up, for keeping us grounded, Pat. <laughs> All right. So uh, after that, he uh, in 1985 he made the sure thing. This is this is his uh, I guess the first one where he plays the f- full front and center character. Yeah. And in this one he plays Walter uh, Gibb Gibson, and he is traveling cross country. To meet a girl who is 100% ready to have sex with him. Oh. Pretty much. It's nice. a sure thing. Especially if that someone is Daphne Zuniga. Mm. Yes. So, uh, but on the way, he uh, he meets up with Nicolette Sheridan. Oh, so she's the sure thing? Wait, wait. Yeah, Nicolette Sheridan is a sure thing. Alison ah. Bradbury, Daphne Zuniga, Zuniga is, the, uh, is the one that travels with him. Ah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, it's been a long time since I've seen that one. Yeah, me too. And it's not exactly... Good. I saw it in high school. It yeah. was the last time I saw it. Yeah. So, That's like uh, boobies? Pretty much. Yep. But I, it was, I thought it was a typical booby movie, and it wasn't, so I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention. <laughs> He's like, I'm turning this off and masturbating. Like, there's some substance to this, so forget this. But I the same year, magazine. he came out and uh, came out with, uh, as the character Lane Meyer in yeah. Better Off Dead. I think this may be the movie that everybody immediately goes to when they think of uh, John Cusack. It's definitely one of the first ones that people bring up, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, this is about a, uh, of course, if you have not seen it, what are you doing listening to the show? <laughs> and two, um, it's about a, uh, a kid who gets broken up with his girlfriend and then tries to kill himself. Repeatedly. Yeah. How and- was your day, dear? Beth broke up with me. Oh, well, oh, that's nice. That's nice. <laughs> French starring fries. Uh, oh god, French dressing. Star, starring True Grits, Kim Darby, right as the mother. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Booger yeah. Curtis Dude. Armstrong. Yes, yeah. Oh, oh, he's the best part of the movie by far. Buck up, little, <laughs> little camper. <laughs> little camp. No, no, no. That's a, oh. a yeah. buckaroo, something like that. But I, <laughs> I, this this movie, I watched this couple week, a uh, couple days ago, actually, and it. It's very 80s, it's very dated, but there are so many things that make you laugh in this movie. Whether it's uh, Cusack's reaction to his dinner walking off the plate. (laughs) (laughs) See, that was one that, uh, that was a gag that never worked for me, even back when I saw it in the 80s. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. It's got raisins in it. You like raisins. You like raisins. (laughs) 
I think you can credit a lot of that to Savage Steve Holland, the guy that that directed it, because he did One Crazy Summer too, which we'll talk about in a minute. But mm-hmm. he he in all of his films, he sprinkles in a little absurdity yeah. to kind of mix it up. And now he's doing Nickelodeon movies, like he did the Fairly Odd Parents live action thing, and he still got that same flair. But back then, I mean, you could get away with that kind of stuff, and people were like, "Oh yeah, it was the '80s, man." What can you exactly? Say? I know I mean, the whole hamburger scene was the scene that took me out of the movie. I, this this movie is was my favorite movie in high school, and that was the only scene that I didn't like in the whole movie. Oh, the like, the Van Halen hamburger. scene. Yeah, was that was Halen? kind of out of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, because of Van Halen didn't help. That's for sure. Mm. <laughs> but Charles <laughs> Demar, Curtis Armstrong. Yeah, Curtis Armstrong and I want my two dollars. Like so classic. Oh. Yeah. And this it's super mountain. quotable. Yeah, you make a fine little helper. What's your name? <laughs> Charles DeBar. Shut up, geek. <laughs> Do you know the street value of this mountain? I was going to say. You know what? I uh, one of the one of the lines from this movie that unfortunately is not from John Cusack that I use all the time when I was working. I was like, man, why do I got to be here? I could be at home making this killer eggnog my brother makes with lighter fluid. I use that one all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, but the thing is about his... Okay, let's get back to the actual person we're talking about. Um, testicles. <laughs> NT, big difference. The thing is, is that in this one is the thing John Cusack actually hits the character where you're just like, I totally, I totally get him. He's been dumped. All of us at one point or another have been dumped. Yep. Patrick, you may deny it, but still. I know you're such a sex bomb. No, it really doesn't have anything to do with that. I don't, I don't think I ever have been. I, I actually think that half the podcast is not... What? You've yeah, never. No, I'm thinking, I'm thinking back on it. I, I have had some bad breakups, but I think I initiated all of them. Yeah, same here. What? Now I'm thinking about it. No. Oh, you called out on that a couple No, of no, no. Times. Bullshit. I am not going into this podcast saying that I'm the only person <laughs> that's ever been dumped. Uh, yeah, I, I've been broken up with. Yeah. That's, that's true. So, but no, you identify. I've, I've been cheated on, but you know, that it's doesn't Kind of like right. saying I'm breaking up by sticking something somewhere. No, but I stayed with them. So. Well, that's on you. But you identify with Lane in this one. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And seriously, Anna, if if Monique, if I had just been broken up with and Monique paid any attention to me whatsoever. Absolutely. This movie made me want my own little foreign exchange student. <laughs> and a badass car. And a well. Wait, what? <laughs> what? Wow, that got dark. <laughs> okay. So, moving on. Yeah. 1985. Uh, Joel, you were the only person that's seen The Journey of Natty Gan. Which I'm pretty sure I saw in school um, for, the, you know, one of my classes. Oh, it's a Disney flick. Yeah, it's a Disney flick, and it, it's not bad. I mean, it's it's him being a Disney uh, goody kind of character, you know? And, okay. again, he plays that kind of guy that you can relate to. So, I think that is that is the number one thing in all his characters. I just okay. Anyway, oh, I've seen this one. The journey of yeah, Natty I saw Gan. the journey of Natty Gan. So, Disney movie, Josh. Yeah. You got anything? No, it's a Disney movie. That's like I now that I see the poster, I remember having watched it. But I probably it came out in eighty five. I probably watched it in eighty seven. Well, just think about eighties live action Disney movies, and you've got a pretty good idea what to expect. Got it. So, uh, in the second contractually obligated movies with Savage Steve Holland. John Cusack does One Crazy Summer. Which I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I might actually like better than Better Off Dead. I do, too. What? What? Yeah. I think you're wrong. (laughs) Yes. It's not as quotable. I I think that all of the highest moments in Better Off Dead are better than any single point in One Crazy Summer. 
But I think from beginning to end, this is the better put together movie. Yeah. It's yeah there's solid. no single mo- moment in One Crazy Summer that's as good as the best of Better Off Dead. I'll concede that point right away, but I'm with Joel on this. I think this is better. Although I think the the Bobcat Goldthwait stuck in the Godzilla suit stomping the... <laughs> <laughs> the country club or whatever is is pretty damn hilarious. I don't know. I yeah. think one crazy summer of the whole scene where the guy gets buried to his neck in the sand, and then oh, for okay. some reason the guy's got the giant can of baked beans. <laughs> See, the, 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 I don't know. I I liked one crazy. I love Better Off Dead and One Crazy Summer. I love them both, but I think I'm I'm definitely with Pat. I'm on the Better Off Dead side on these. Plus, you got cute Demi Moore before she got Demi Moored. Yeah. And Bobcat Goldthwait, and you've got a bunch of character actors that are just great. Plus, you've got, um, who was the, the old guy that played the dad? Not Burgess Meredith, but. John Matuzak? No. No, John Matuzak. Uh, oh, that played. was Stan. Yeah. Well, you got, I can't think of his name now, but he yeah, was I a big character actor, did a lot of stuff back then, and he's, it's, it's just a solid, it's, it's totally 80s, though. I mean, it's got, all the tropes of an 80s movie, including a yacht race at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, we've got the return of Curtis Armstrong. And uh, with uh, between Curtis Armstrong and John Matuzak, you've got two of the guys from the Revenge of the Nerds flicks. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah, Ogre, on, Ogre and Booger. Yep. I'm on IMDb right now, plus Jeremy Piven is in sure. it. Sure. Um, and uh, an John, early. <clears throat> John Matuzak was not Booger, or was not Ogre. He was? William, yes, no. he, William oh. Hickey. Uh, who was it? Then I'm confusing uh, big football dudes. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he was a, he was a Chicago guy, the guy that played uh, Ogre. He used to hang out in the bars down on Division all the time. Oh, John Matuzak is Sloth. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, not Ogre, Sloth. I was. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, okay, you, Ogre was Donald Gibb, but uh, you know who William Hickey <laughs> is, though, right? Now that I, oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. he played the, the cantankerous old grandpa or whatever, and. It just, it just, it stinks of everything 80s, but that's what makes it so wonderful. It's also got a very young Taylor Negron. Very mm-hmm. true. <clears throat> All right, so, so did um, Better Off Dead. But a lot of people yeah. don't, oh, that's right. don't know it compared to Better Off Dead. It always is kind of in the shadow, which I think is unfortunate. One of, one, one of the, my favorite lines in all of One Crazy Summer is, uh, those girls running around with their faces all stuck. And it's like, man, they got a lot of ugly kids around here. <laughs> Again, some more Savage Steve Holland weirdness. Yep. So uh, I am the only person. Well, no, I'm sorry, I'm not skipping the one. Stan, he was in Stand by Me. Now, who yeah. was he in Stand by Me? Daniel Dan- Lachance. He was one of the. Uh, he he played the the older brother that that, that died. Yep. Yep. Oh, okay. Remember the flashback scene at the table? So, yeah, Will Wheaton's character's older brother. Yeah. So unfortunately, he was overshadowed in the entire thing by Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, Jerry O'Connell, and Kiefer Sutherland. So awesome, awesome movie. But yeah. it, it's we've already talked about it at least twice. Yeah. Yeah, we all love this movie. We all think it's great. I mean, honestly, it's I think it's in all of our top tens, probably. I wouldn't go that far, but I like it. It's mm-hmm. close to my top ten. I don't know if it cracks. It might be like the, eleven or twelve. Top twenty-five for sure. Absolutely right. So uh, I am the only person that took the time to watch Hot Pursuit years Hot ago. Pursuit. Uh, Hot Pursuit. He misses the plane he was supposed to be on with with his rich girlfriend, and then chases after her. He also winds up with Robert Loggia. Uh, to uh, chase down his girlfriend uh, as a sailor. Jerry a... Stiller is in it? Robert Lachia? No, it says Jerry Stiller's in the movie, too. And Ben Stiller. Huh. I actually have seen this. It's been years, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Josh is going to do this, do all this night. All. Yeah, I will be. Absolutely. Yeah. Basically, it's another movie where he's chasing some tail. 
But, I mean, again, it seems another one of those contractually obligated movies. It was not good, <laughs> despite. Uh, but I'm, I'm gonna, so Josh, do you remember anything about this movie? I remember the guys who are high, uh, who gave him a ride. Hi. Yeah, so, man. All yeah, right. there were, there were a bunch of guys that were, uh, high on pot. That's, and I vaguely Smoking remember the, wit, the wacky tobacco. Absolutely. And I vaguely remember young Ben Stiller. Right. So, so none of us really remember too much about this movie, but, uh, then he was in broadcast news that William Hurt, Albert Brooks, uh, Shiner. It was actually a really good movie, but I don't, I mean, he, he plays a very bit role in this one. So, uh, tape heads. That's, um, movie with himself. Well, John Cusack, of course. Uh, and Tim Robbins, uh, Clue Gallagher is in it, who if you probably know his son more than him, but, uh, Doug McClure, basically they're. The watermelons? No, not, not that Gallagher. Weird Clue Gallagher was an old Western actor, but. You'd know him if you saw him. Anyway, a couple of guys um, get into the video music industry, and it's kind of weird. It's a little bit kind of the fringy 80s movies where they're kind of stepping outside of the norm, and it's more culty than it is something yeah. you, you really have to want to watch. Jello John Biafra, Bobcat Goldthwait, Michael Nesmith. It's it's interesting. I mean, it's Ted worth Fugin? watching if you're a Cusack fan. Good God. So, yeah. Joel. That movie sounds like an acid trip. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Nobody has seen Eight Men Out. Uh, I vaguely remember the controversy around it in Chicago, especially among White Sox fans. I mean, it's not going to be something that if you are a Sox fan, you're looking forward to seeing, considering it's a retrospective on the Black Sox scandal. Mm-hmm. And I did see it, but I don't remember anything about it, so I didn't put down that I saw it. No, Christopher Lloyd, Charlie Sheen, D.B. Sweeney, David Stratham. Michael Lerner. I mean, most of the names just play the old the old times team, you know, the big names in the movie. Yep. Yeah. But it wasn't until uh, 1989 where he played Lloyd Dobler and Say Anything. The character that he says is probably most like him if he didn't have any imperfections. Really? Is that a quote? Yeah. Not a, not a direct quote. It's a paraphrase. Maybe. Yeah. But he, was, he said something much, to that effect. The way he said it was like it's a much better version of him. If he didn't have any negativity or something like that, I can see that. That's the one with the the boombox and in your eyes. Yep. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah. And it's like I don't want to buy anything, buy anything salt, bought or processed. I don't want to. I don't want. I don't want to produce <laughs> anything. And the whole time, John Mahoney's just kind of like looking at him. Like, like I'm going to kill you if you touch my daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a great. Ioni Sky. Mm. Mm. John Mahoney, another uh, Oak Parker, actually. Yep. Yeah. Who I've met. Who they used to, to work together at... on the on the, uh, the stage. I think is how they got to know each other. At Steppenwolf. Yeah. Yeah. That's where a lot Thank of the Chicago guys, Gary Sinise and uh, Malkovich, and but yep. yeah, um, John Mahoney's coming to the record store every once in a while. At Val's Hala. Oh, really? Good friends with Val, yeah. I met him a couple times. Nice oh, dude. Very cool. Uh, so, uh, say anything in in, in uh, making thousands of guys trying to get back together with their girlfriends, stand outside their windows and holding a boombox in the air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It set the tone for... It was really actually, again, he plays another one of those characters where you're like, I totally get him. You know, he's not like he... All of his characters, especially in these type of movies, are very grounded. And this is the movie that got him into kickboxing, too. Yeah, yeah. Which I would never have known if we hadn't done the show. Honestly, I'd never realized that. Really? Yeah, huh. I didn't know that. All right, so uh, he's, you know, he's an actual badass. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Seriously. Uh, so, 1989, Fat Man and Little Boy. 
came out with uh, John Cusack, a movie about the creation of the nuclear bombs in the Manhattan yeah. Project. Nobody saw that one. That's what it had to be. Yeah. Uh, this the, uh... is one that I think I saw, but I, like Pat said, this is one that I didn't, I intentionally didn't mark because I don't remember it well enough to talk about it. Right. But the Grifters, all of us have seen the Grifters. I saw the Grifters today. I was going to make a Jake and so the Fat Guy, Fat Man joke. Oh, well. No, please oh, yeah, don't. the Grifters. So Grifters last week. This is a, uh, a movie about a con man who is stuck between his white his uh, girlfriend and his mom. Uh, yeah, and there uh, are three different sort of con artists. Yeah, there is uh, John Cusack, who's kind of like the swapping bills, uh, shortchanging you type of uh, grifter, and then Angelica Houston, who is actually working for a mobster and changing the odds at the racetracks, and then Annette Benning, who is naked. A very naked at that betting. Well, and she's part of. She wants to get back into the long con game. Yeah, like you masturbate. Yeah, this one I I liked, but I didn't feel good about it. This is one that I've only seen it once. I really was trying to get to it with Juliana getting hurt. I didn't have time because it was on my list for that night. Mm-hmm. I just remember when I first saw it that I really didn't care for it. And I have this feeling that if I watched it now, I would see it with a different set of eyes. Well, this is also well, this is done by uh, Stephen Arthur Frears, who also did High Fidelity um, and produced by Martin Scorsese and has a very Scorsese type of feel to it. It is it's a kind of like a, um, a noir and Scorsese was one of our first pr- – I think he might have been the second uh, profile, this type of show mm-hmm, that we yeah. did, if you look back in our archives. Yeah, so – but it's – I mean, it's – you want to see what's going to happen to these guy, these people in this movie, and you feel – you feel bad for John Cusack because he's kind of caught in the middle of these two. Well, and Annette Benning is just kind of a shitty person in this movie. Oh, no, she's not kind of. She is completely a shitty person. <laughs> no, wait, did you guys just watch this this week, anybody? I saw it just today. I watched so, it again this week. How did, how did it hold up? I mean, because I assume you'd seen it prior to. I saw it in the theater when it first came out. It holds up. To me, it holds up. I mean, it is, it's not a fun movie. It's not a good movie. I Meaning it's not one of those that you're going to come out feeling so much great about your life. But I will say that you, it, it is a, almost like a mystery type crime movie, and nobody in this movie is a good person. It's a little off-putting, but for a reason that I want to give it credit for, even though, uh, I, I it made me have difficulty watching it, because it does not follow the standard, like, three-act structure that we're used to with modern movies at all. No. Uh, and uh, because of that, the story feels a little uneven, but I'm, I, you know, the modern formula picture, uh, you can kind of s- see the rhythm of the story coming. And it's a little refreshing to see something that has so far departed from that. So do we all like it? Uh, I mean, I really, I, I, I expected to like it more the second time I watched it and I, I just didn't. I mean... I don't know. For for a movie that's titled The Grifters, I expected there to be a lot more grifting. There was a lot of talking about grifting, and there was a lot of calling each other grifters, and there was a lot of flashbacks to actual grifting. But there wasn't a whole lot of actual grifting going on during the movie itself. That word has lost all meaning. You've said it so many times. <laughs> hey, man, are you grifting? Well, that's kind of how it felt like, in the movie. They were like, hey, I'm a grifter. Are you a grifter? Yeah, me too. I'm a grifter. Let's grift together. <laughs> So uh, after that, in uh, also in no ninety one, he made True Colors, where he played opposite uh, James Spader and Mandy Patinkin. Nobody of none of us have seen that. So moving on, Joel, you saw Shadows and Fog. Shadows and Fog, yeah, it's it's one of Woody Allen's lesser known and kind of more 
unique um, takes on filmmaking. It was a black and white kind of comedy thriller based on like the the noir stuff, like the Fritz Lang, uh, F.W. Murnau, F.W. Murnau stuff. Um, and it's it's very stylized. Um, and it's 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 good. I mean, it's it's Woody Allen, and if you like Woody Allen, you'll appreciate it. But Cusack isn't like the main character in it. Hmm. It's one of the um, few times you can say that Fred Gwynn, Madonna, and John Malkovich have all been on uh, screen together, I guess. Oh, yeah. this The cast on this one is just bonkers. Kathy Bates, Mia Farrow, Jodie Foster, Julie Kavner. All right. So, Joel, like it? Not like it? I, I enjoyed it, yeah. I mean, I'm a I'm an unabashed Woody Allen fan. I mean, I know he's not necessarily a great person, but I, uh, I love all of his stuff, and I, I relate to... His storytelling, so uh, I would recommend that if you haven't seen it and you like Woody Allen, okay, for sure. Now, Plus, uh, same year, the player. I, no, I can't believe you haven't seen this, Josh. I want to. Is this You've the never one that's, seen? All, that's all about the um, behind the scenes in the movie industry? Yeah, Tim Robbins okay. plays a movie yeah, producer. Robert Altman film, uh, very much tongue in cheek. It's a murder mystery. I uh, think I may have seen this and just don't remember it. Everybody's in it, but everybody plays themselves. There's like I think this is one of the very first huge movies with just tons and tons and tons of stars before, like your Magnolia and things like that, and well, Boogie Nights, where they just had ensembles. That's what Robert Altman was known for, is that people respected his work so much that they wanted to work with him. Um, And so he could just get anybody he wanted to be in his movie. And it's got a great sequence at the end where he keeps talking about making this movie. And at the end, they have the the movie within a movie with Bruce Willis and I think it's Julia Roberts. And like Um, Bruce Willis, the whole movie is playing like some kind of over-the-top parody of himself. hmm. But a lot of people just play themselves. I mean, it's it's a total send-up of Hollywood at that time, and it's it's a really, really good movie. I'm I'm an Altman fan. Okay, so uh, after that, we've got Roadside Profits, which after looking at it, I really want to see because it's John Cusack with Arlo Guthrie, Don Cheadle, and Flea. Nice. Yeah, I'd like to see that, too. I know. I'm looking at the, I mean... Adam Horowitz, uh, David Carradine, what? Uh, Dick Rude. I mean, it's really. <laughs> <laughs> he said Dick Rude. I know. It's just it's all it's all over the place. It's now on my list. Um, but after that, he in 1992, Map of the Human Heart. Yeah, this was a pretty minor film done by a director from New Zealand named Vic- Vincent Ward. Uh, it, I believe he was a pretty minor character in this one. Okay, so then uh, Bob Roberts, 1992. I remember nothing about this movie, but I know I've seen it. Because I was in a Tim well, Robbins. John Cusack, Gore Vidal, Tim Robbins, and Ellen Rickman. Susan Sarandon. Yeah. It had a lot of people. Fred Ward. What the heck? Yeah, this is, this is a mockumentary. Uh, basically starring Tim Robbins as a, like, totally right-wing politician uh, on his way trying to get, like, a Republican uh, Senate seat. Hmm. Interesting side note, Bob Roberts is the name of the character that is the racer in the Drive Hard movie. Oh, hmm. neat. So, oh, you're right. So I mean, catch that. Yeah, this is another one where uh, we'll huh. constantly see a couple of different people work with him. This is like the seventh or eighth on our list so far that's had Jeremy Piven. This is about the fourth one where he's worked with uh, Ray Wise, best known for uh, being Leland Palmer in Twin Peaks. 
Okay. And I got to say, Ray Wise, real quick, just a sidebar. That dude, no matter what he's in, is always on point. Oh, he, yeah. He always kills it. He's 100% committed to whether it's complete garbage or it's the best thing ever. He is always all in. And I, I'm a, oh, I love Ray Wise. Anyways, yeah, I would recommend you guys check out Bob Roberts. Uh, it's also got a great performance by Giancarlo Esposito. Like, cool. th- this is a good movie. So, uh, after that, 93, Money for Nothing, 94, Floundering, but 1994's Bullets Over Broadway. Josh, Another Joel, you've seen this. Woody Allen movie, this time more in the style of the, uh, the crazy, like, um, uh, Char- not Charles Chaplin. Um, who did the front page? Dad burned it. Joel Hick. Like the, the, the Hecht and, and who was the guy that co-wrote it though? Charles, Charlie MacArthur, like that mm. real fast paced uh, kind of, okay. hey, that ballet, that kind of. This actually the, looks the, pretty cool. The I thing they tried to do in the Hudsucker Proxy. Hudsucker Proxy was great. Shut up. Shut up. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with Joel. Hudsucker Proxy was great. But this might actually be my favorite Woody Allen film. Uh, this or Annie Hall. Really? Yeah. I, right up there. So this yeah, one's uh, really, John, really good. John Cusack with Harvey Fierstein, Chaz Palmaretti, Rob Reiner, Jennifer Tilly, Diane West, Jack Warden. Uh, He's got part. a great yeah. cast in this. Chaz Palminteri is so funny in this movie. Yeah. It's, it's, if you've never seen it, it's worth your time. And by the way, I've seen Floundering. It's it's a 90s slacker comedy. Okay. So we've all seen that. Uh, Road to Wellville. Oh, so good. So good. So weird. Oh, jeez. I realized we ran over money to nothing and I'd actually seen it. But it's it's another like uh, comedy. Uh, he's a longshoreman, finds a bag of money that fell out of the back of an armored car. And he's uh, trying to keep it uh, like figure out whether he's going to keep it or turn it in. It's got Michael Rappaport. Based oh. on a true story. Yeah. Nice. So uh, bullets over Broadway. Road to Wellville. Ro- I'm yeah. sorry, Road to Wellville. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, weirdness all around. Um, this one, it, it, I remember watching it and then finding out that it was kind of based on a real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Hopkins, Bridget Fonda, Matthew Broderick, John Cusack, Dana Carvey all make cornflakes. Well, kind of. <laughs> I got a little bit more yeah. going on than cornflakes, but yeah. yes. Yes. Yeah, it's basically about the crazy, what they thought the path to health, both mental and physical was, whether that was getting enemas, whether that was uh, doing exercise, or whether that was eating cornflakes or getting electric shocked. Yep. And it was all uh, head up by Anthony Hopkins as John Harvey Kellogg. Yes, the serial guy. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And the actual uh, sanitarium. Mm-hmm. Is uh, you know, is what they uh, is what is what it's about, and it's it's in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yeah, and it's really, I mean, it's uh, Battle Creek. Oh damn oh, it! Okay. I was so close. That's so it. close. You're fired. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's I mean, good, I remember in, well it, is, it is good. It's yeah. it's one of those you kind of sit there with that you know kind of like eyebrow cocked look, like what. What's, what exactly is going on? <laughs> He's having sex with her in an iron lung? Is that what's going on here? Um, but then after that, Josh, no, Joel has seen City Hall. Uh, just think your stereotypical 90s political lawyery kind of thing, and that's pretty much what it is. Okay. But the, the big difference is you've got Al Pacino and Bridget Fonda, Danny Aiello, and Martin Landau. It's It's very good, but it's really forgettable i mean there's nothing about it that makes it stand out from all the other movies just like it at the time but then martin q blank shows up in gross point blank <sighs> oh all of us have seen this where do we all stand on the scale on this movie i won't i love it i won't <laughs> lie everybody no. wants. i love it 
it, I, I go ahead. Oh no, I'm just saying. Go ahead, Joel. I mean, it's. I think it's the first time we really get to see uh, Dan Aykroyd shoot two guns at once and be a badass. Um, yeah. It's Popcorn. got Mini Driver, who's phenomenal. It's it's just solid. Great music, great story. It's it's original and it's got actually got really good action in it. Yeah, two great soundtracks out of this one. Yep. Um, is really good. basically Martin Blank is a professional assassin who is getting depressed and disenchanted about what's going on with his life. And his sister, who is amazing as his assistant. His literal sister, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It over, over basically gets a job lined up for him where he has to kill somebody in his hometown of Gross Point. You know, I, I thinking about this, I liked this movie, but this one was one that was so hyped to me that I think my expectations were high and I was disappointed and I was just like, yeah, that was good. I think the thing with me is I I saw it and I loved it and it wasn't until 1999 that but, I watched this all the time cuz it's a whole movie about a guy whose life is changing and is reevaluating his entire existence and for some reason this is the movie that I clung on to when I found out that Suzanne was pregnant well and it's a it's a very literal take on a very real thing that everybody has to go through but the way that they that not literal but the way they take it is to kind of an extreme where you know he's a hitman and that's what he's trying to have a during the whole point you know he's actually literally killing people and mm-hmm. i don't know where the hell i'm going with this i don't know it's either, great watch it it's great I, honestly i think out of the out of the entire movie with the action and everything else that's going on my favorite scene has got to be the uh live and let die scene where he comes home and sees that his home has been replaced by a mini mart, and his whole conversation with the poor kid behind—how long have you worked here? A couple months. What? What? What are you doing here? Why? 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 Are, I mean, he, he has this whole like he expects to come home, and imagine you go home to the home that you have grown up in, and it's now a Seven Eleven, and nobody told you. I don't know. His fault. He didn't go back. Yeah. No. I mean, it's it is, but uh, it also has uh, Benny Urquids as Felix Le Poubelle in there as the assassin. I don't know why I tossed it in there because he's got a weird face. <laughs> I got so. Oh yeah, this is uh, Benny Urquidez. We talked about him earlier. This is the. Uh, oh, that's a kickboxing dude. That's a kickboxing. Guy. Oh, that makes a fight even cooler then. So yeah, I mean, I I like this movie, but I don't love it like a lot of people do. I like it. Yeah, that's that's where I am with oh. it too. Mm. I'm with you, Mike. Yeah. I just, I mean, I don't know why I, I, of all the movies that I clung to and watched over and over and over again, this one was one of them. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's right. got the whole world. Why are you doing that? Because 1997, Con Air. Oh, God. <laughs> this what movie a pile is... Of crap on crap. This movie. <laughs> Dude, this movie is so bad, it rolls the machine around to awesome. That's exactly. exact. I, I completely agree with you on that. Like, I'm not going to say it's good on its own because it's not good, but it has just gone so far into uh, the not good that it's suddenly back around to being great. (laughs) But there are so many people that that worship this movie that don't understand how bad it is. They're just like, it's so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I hate this movie. It's one of those where you're on a Saturday afternoon. You got nothing going on. You sit down on the couch. You pop it in. You eat some snacks, and you just have a good time. I mean, it's. it's I was mad that I paid money to see this movie. I, in the theater. I saw it in the theater too. John Cusack spends a whole movie running around in sandals, fighting. Yep. Yep. The bad guys. Come on, man. It's kind of where Nick Cage starts to go a little sideways, but yeah, and a it's little. got the unintentionally funny re- reunion at the end with his daughter. 
Yeah. This is the music swells. That's the it's whole total nineties action, but that that's the suckiest suck that ever sucked. That movie. <laughs> You're the suckiest suck that ever sucked. Yes, he is. The I funny mean, thing wait, is, is, I don't think any of the three of us disagree with you. The thing is, is we enjoy it even though it's bad. Ugh. I en- I enjoy it because it's bad. It's not the rock. Ugh. That's now, for another show. Joel, tell us about Chicago Cab. Chicago Cab. Again, here's uh, John Cusack going back to his roots. Um, it, it, it was originally called Hell Cab. It was a play written by Will Kern. Um, and it's basically you've got a, a cabbie who's played by. Uh, hold on. I got to look for his name here. I forget what his Paul name Dillon. is. Paul Dillon. Yeah, who's a great character actor. And he's spot on in this movie. Um, he it's it's his night where they intersperse the lives of these different people that get in the cab. And it's uh, Jillian Anderson, John Cusack, Laurie Metcalf, Julianne Moore, John C. Riley, Michael Shannon, Michael Ironside. I mean, it's just got this amazing cast of people. It's a talkie, though. It's a, one of the 90s kind of independent, lots of dialogue. Like not coffee a lot and cigarettes. Exactly. But it's it's one of those movies that really just was under the radar. And if I wouldn't have been working at the video store at that point, I might not have even seen it. But it's Cusack is really good. I remember seeing ads for the play version of this. But uh, I, never saw I, it. If you like that kind of thing, talky kind of independent <clears throat> sort of stuff is the way to go. Right. So uh, after this, Anastasia. Meh. He plays Dimitri. It's a musical. And a guy who is definitely not John Cusack sings. But uh, Meg is Ryan. Is this live action? Or no, this is a cartoon. No, this is a cartoon. I think I probably <laughs> saw this one, too. Don Bluth. <laughs> <clears throat> I've seen it. Yeah. I went and saw it. I'm a big fan of Don Bluth. So I actually saw this one at the theater. It was forgettable in my opinion yeah so anyway midnight in the garden of good and evil <laughs> i still want to see though the three of you have seen it oh man this is so good you've got uh uh kevin spacey and john cusack in this awesome like southern uh mystery and trial did he did he do it did he do it did he not do it did yeah he, i almost said that he didn't do it <laughs> did he did he do directed by clint eastwood <laughs> yeah and uh, playing opposite Kevin Spacey and had, wasn't this you know, Eastwood's first big major direction? Uh, Who's no one? Uh, I think Unforgiven was before this. Yeah. Was it okay? Yeah, I think Bridges of Madison County might have been before this too. So, Regardless. sorry, it's a mystery. You're trying not to spoil it for me because I'm going to watch this. It's, yeah, you really should. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. Uh, I mean, you've got. Not only an awesome performance by John Cusack, who is the writer who's covering the case, but I mean, it's a star. It puts uh, Kevin Spacey front and center in one of his most interesting characters in a career filled with interesting characters. Yeah. Okay. So none of us have seen This Is My Father with Kevin. My father. Then uh, Joel. Joel, you saw Thin Red Line? Yeah. uh, Terrence Malick, war movie, got panned pretty hard because it's a little bit nonlinear. Um, it was supposed to be Adrian Brody was the main character, but they re-edited it and I don't know, it, it was a big kind of fiasco. But Terrence Malick is known for big, like beautiful scenery everywhere movies that take forever to do. But it, it's a kind of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, metaphysical. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a war movie that's not a war movie. Okay. Let's put it that way. And John Cusack's a minor character. All right, so uh, Nick Falzone is his next character in Pushing Tin, where he plays opposite Billy Bob Thornton, Kate Blanchett, and Angelina Jolie as a uh, air traffic air traffic controller. 
with you've probably seen the scene where he's out laying in the middle of the of the runway with the planes landing over the top of him uh and about the stress that these people feel when they're when they're working it's i remember like this is again i know i've seen it remember liking it don't remember why <laughs> well here's one that came out of nowhere i mean i when i first heard about it i'm like billy bob thornton cool john cusack cool and then i heard what it was and i saw the like trailer and i'm like huh and I ended up within the first 20 minutes. I was like, holy crap, this is really, really good. It just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. I liked it, but I didn't love it. I thought the acting was a little bit over the top. But overall, the kind of the the feel that they gave you for what it's like to be an air traffic controller, it was really well done. Like with all the scenes that they had of, you know, them actually in the tower doing, you know, it was really intense. Okay. So uh, then we have Hank Azaria, Ruben Blades, Joan and John Cusack, Carrie Ells, and a Bill Murray are in The Cradle Will Rock. Yeah, this is one that I thought I had seen, but it was a movie that I think I rented and didn't actually ever see and have meant to see several times, but for one reason or another, never got around to. Yeah, right. I thought I had too, but I realized when I was looking at it that I haven't. Another Tim Robbins movie. Yeah. Directed. So, moving on to 1999's Being John Malkovich Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. <laughs> Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. This is so, I, I guess this may let him get into his weirdness. Well, this one, like, it's not just weird. I mean, it fully dives into absurdist. And it's one of the few big release films that goes that far into absurdism. And it does it right. This is a Spike Jones joint. Mm hmm. You really got to go into this one with a specific frame of mind. Well, and considering it's written by Charlie Kaufman, who is known for his bizarre storytelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Him and his brother both, but. <laughs> and, well, and then you got John Cusack, who plays a puppeteer who's front and center with Cameron Diaz. Um, Neither one of them looking a bit like themselves. Right. And it's just, like, got this weird thing. Like, it's weird before he finds the portal to enter John Malkovich's mind. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> and if you think we're joking, we're and, not. And that, 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 I remember seeing that the first time. I'm like, okay, this is going to get weirder before it gets more normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's halfway, about halfway through the movie, you're like, this is, you, I agree with you on this one, Pat. It's like, you're sitting there, you're like, there's no way this can get stranger. <laughs> well, I've been proved wrong. Yep. Oh, it does get weirder. Yeah. No, never thought we can go down this road, but apparently here we are. Where you have the all the people that look just like John Malkovich, with this, including the women, and that gets... That was strange. Weird. So, <laughs> but, but it's I, good, though. That's it, just it, though. It's it's one of those things that even though it's absurd and it's off the wall and, it, and, and all rights shouldn't work on screen... Mm -hmm. It does. Well, it's one of those where people ask, oh, you saw John being John Malkovich? Oh, yeah, I did. Did you like it? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I I like incredibly bizarre things, and I even kind of have that reaction to this one. It's like, yeah, I liked it, but yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about liking it. I, I still think it's one of Spike Jones's strongest pieces of, of his career. Uh, but yeah, it's it's... It's something you need to see at least once if you are a student of film in any way, shape, or form. Right. So uh, it is now 1999. We're approaching the year 2000, which means party. time for a break. Boop, boop. Well, honk my hooters. Yeah, I will <laughs> next time I see you, buddy. You, well, I hope so. I, that's another phrase that I use a lot. Honk my hooters? Yeah. Yeah. We'll be Love back it. soon after our hooters have been honked.
Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the second half of the John Cusack Show. So, 2000, High Fidelity came out. Oh. Rob Gordon playing opposite uh, Jack Black and uh, Tim Robbins again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Based on the book by Nick Hornby. Yeah. Also uh, shot, I believe, in uh, Oak Park. That was, uh, well, it was shot in Chicago, yeah, but I don't, it wasn't, they, they had uh, checked out Val's store, but... <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't get uh, the words out. I was, those, <laughs> I was waiting was for some kind of pronoun or something in there. You know, it, was, it was in the city. It was in Wicker Park. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Stephen Frears again, which you had mentioned earlier, was a, a director he'd work with. Yep. He, go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going. Yeah. yeah, this one did not have Jeremy Piven in it, which at this point is makes it the exception. Mm-hmm. Um, but, this, yeah, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, this one actually, uh, it centers on Rob Gordon, who is a music lover who doesn't understand women. Go figure. And, uh, he gets dumped by Laura, whose name involves a lot of vowels. Yes. Go ahead. You say that. Ibn Tejeje? Uh, Ibn Yes. That's Ibn Yela. Okay, so her. And he owns a record shop, uh, employs Jack Black, and, uh, his girlfriend then starts going out with, uh, Tim Robbins. And it's very much of the breaking of the fourth wall in this one. A lot of discussion with the screen, a lot of talking about what's going on, making mixtapes, talking about proper ways to store your uh, store your records. It, I loved it. I yeah, thought it was great. Yeah, the whole, like, uh, they are making top five lists of everything, and then he focuses on his top five girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Yep, top five girls and top five breakups. I top- thought it was top five, yeah, top five breakups. Top yeah. Five- yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um... The cool thing about this one is, Joel, okay, Joel, you said you had a story about this one. I did. All right, apparently you don't. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought the story was about one of the other films. I could be wrong. Mm. Yeah, it was. But, I mean, at this point, I was working at the record store, and we did a big push for this with the Lake Theater, um, doing, you know, a big full window display and and had the book. We all read the book uh, at the same time. We all got passes to go see the movie, and because it took place in a record store and they'd been scouting out there, you know, we were tied into it pretty heavily. So for us, it was like everybody's like, "Oh, you must love High Fidelity." I'm like, well, actually, we do. Yeah. yeah. But book t- books is a lot different. You know, it takes place in in England, and it's very English. Yeah. But um, if this you, is Jack Black before he's Jack Black, pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're an audiophile at all, it it's, it speaks directly to you in terms of how you handle life in general, but specifically with women. Yeah. Uh, the thing about this one was. This came out year 2000. This is the year that Suzanne was pregnant with Katie. So we went to go see this. And, you know, we're sitting there, watched it, loved it, thought it was great. One reason this movie stands out in my head, besides the fact that I love John Cusack movies and I love this movie, is this is the one where we finish watching the movie, walking, walk out to the car, sit down, start up the car, and she goes, wow, I was having contractions through that entire movie. (laughs) (laughs) What? Just like, I it, it immediately, it blew my mind. So like, and I freaked out. Why didn't you say anything? Oh, my God. And she's like, because I wanted to see the end of the movie. <laughs> Priority. I'm just like, like, these things take a while. Yeah. She's like, I wanted to see the end. I didn't want, I didn't want to immediately want to, you know, I don't want, because I, she's, she's basically was like having some sort of like practice contractions, I guess. But uh, apparently um, she knew if she told me, I would have physically picked her up and walked her out of the hospital. I mean, walked her out of the uh, movie into the hospital. So that was kind of my fun thing. But after this, 2001, he made America's Sweethearts, Aww. written by Billy Crystal. Yeah, I mean, in this one, he is a 
kind of a douche, like the America's first couple, him and Catherine Zeta Jones. And you've got their handlers trying to like get them, like manage them, basically Wrang- wrangle him. Yeah. Is this it, the one that had Julia Roberts in it too? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. This She's is the kind of yeah. I purposely didn't see this one. assistant that's nerdy that isn't really nerdy or yeah frumpy or whatever. Takes glasses off and suddenly they're beautiful. Like kind of yeah, I think is she uh, Catherine Zeta's own sister? I, I forget. Don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I remember. Yeah, I I know a lot about this movie for never having seen it. That's weird, Pat. Yeah, I know. It's kind of it, a weird. I know the things I hate. It's a John Cusack rom com. But yeah, kind but of tainted, right? <laughs> Dark rom com. Yeah, it's like a, it's yeah, it's like a black rom com. Yeah, this is definitely not something that it's just like you have to go out and see it. But I mean, if it's on like cable and you got a couple of hours, yeah, watch it. It's fine. Yeah, Suzanne likes this one. Yeah, Billy Crystal is good. Yeah, Did a good job. Same year, he comes out with Serendipity, another rom comedy, but a bit more. John Cusack and Kate Beckinsdale. It's a bit mm. more stop that. Rami, a bit more Rami than Kami. Yeah, this this is yeah. a little more sappy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This is actually the favorite of uh, Nikki New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, seen it. It's a rom com. Yeah. It's I I've wa- never I, seen it. Yeah, I want to say he's paying the bills. I really do. It's all right. I mean, it's 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 not anything I ever need to see again. But it was. Well, I mean, I've, I've seen I've seen him admit in some interviews. He's like, yeah, there are some movies that he takes just for you know, just because it makes financial sense, as he says. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, and then um, after this, he decides to take a complete change with the movie Max, where he uh, becomes Hitler's art teacher. It's yeah, a very. It was a very controversial movie about like a young Hitler and his art. Th- th- this art critic. Kind of like art teacher, art critic, whatever, you know, like plays a role in Hitler's young life. Yeah, Max and, Rothman. And they try, I mean, they, it took a lot of grief because it was trying, it, it actually kind of humanized Adolf Hitler and people don't want that. Right. Yeah. It's one I wanted to see before the show, but it, there just was not enough time. But I've heard yeah, same the, here. it's yeah. really good, but yeah, it's, it's controversial because of the topic. You can tell how this one was, was received it uh box office take was five hundred thirty nine thousand dollars yeah yeah so again but again this is this is very still, still too soon for hitler yeah <laughs> for, apparently for hitler well still i mean this soon. is the thing that where you get these movies that john cusack will take that are not mainstream that are not you know he'll do i mean come on he does he does, he's, he's willing to do jobs that that a lot of guys wouldn't touch because they don't want to, their their reputation to suffer like, exactly tom cruise would never make max no god no oh he made valkyrie instead yeah where he's trying to kill hitler exactly right, right. i mean well i mean where john cusack you know plays opposite kate beckinsale and he does this you know rom-com oh the lovers finally find each other type of thing and then he turns around and the next year he does a movie where he's you know the art dealing with art and art and hitler you know i really want to see this i want to find this because i think this may be one of his you know i think he's i'm guessing he's really good at this because he plays these intense characters really well and yeah. I don't imagine he would take a movie like that if the script wasn't pretty solid. Right. Right. And it's something that he wants to communicate something particular. And we're going to come back to that idea later in this half. Okay. So uh, after this, uh, he plays himself in Adaptation. I Another saw Charlie... Adaptation, but I don't remember him being in it. Another yeah, he... Charlie Kaufman penned film. Another yeah. weird one. Another Spike Jones joint. Right. Yep. Then uh, 2003, Identity. Oh, Ed Dakota. Do we call spoilers on this? Just 13-year-old movie, I think we can call spoilers. Yeah, okay. I mean, I don't know that we need to give away the ending to talk about identity. It's, True. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, the not... guy who the guy who plays um uh, what's the 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 inmate's name? Ray, uh, uh, Malcolm Rivers. Yeah, the yeah. guy who plays him does a phenomenal job. Yeah. Yeah, Mel, uh, oh, who was that? That's uh, uh, Pruitt, uh, Pruitt Taylor Vince. Pruitt Taylor Vince, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't Mr. Uh, wiggly Eyes. Yeah, yeah, this one is often compared to Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None, a group of people trapped into trapped in one location, and little by little people just start showing up dead. Uh, John Cusack, Ray Liotta, Amanda Peet, uh, Alfred Molina. It's got a great cast, a great varied cast, uh, different personalities across the board. And, um, <clears throat> I, God, I remember watching this one at the, and I don't want to give away the ending, but I loved it. By the end of it, I was, I was on, on board with this movie. Yeah. I, I mean, the whole thing about them being trapped in the motel and there are all these super interesting, if a little bit stereotypical characters. And when they show up dead, uh, motel room keys show up where they're killed. Mm hmm. I remember the first time seeing this movie, I was like, I didn't really care for it because, you know, I was like, all the, you know, the characters are all one dimensional. It's kind of really far fetched. All this, you know, everything that's happening, you know, and then by the end of the movie, I was like, oh, right. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Directed by James Mangold, who did Walk the Line and Girl Interrupted Copland that we've talked about, 310 to Yuma. You know, he's one of those directors that picks and chooses very specifically what he wants to do. So this one kind of took me by surprise because I was expecting a by the book kind of story and at the end of it i was like okay yeah yeah if i don't know this is one that i wanted to watch again but just there were so many things in his catalog i hadn't seen even once Mm -hmm. that i didn't actually rewatch anything except the grifters yeah so after this he does runaway jury where he plays uh opposite uh gene hackman and dustin hoffman i mean he's and that's the thing about about John Cusack is that he plays opposite some great actors. Mm-hmm. That one has another Jeremy Piven. Like he's working with Jeremy Piven all the time. Oh yeah, but he's got a lot of respect, I think, among the Hollywood people. They know he's not like a diva or a sellout or any of that kind of stuff, and he, you know, quote unquote, respects the art. Cusack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, I think if anybody respects the the script, respecting the script and having a good script, I think it's Cusack. Um, so after this, he does Must Love Dogs, jumps back into the rom-com. I don't know if this was like a push from his... Well, you, this one's a little yeah. bit different because it's got Uma Thurman and Janine Garofalo. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a little bit different than your typical rom-com, but... Um, oh, no, I'm thinking of... Um, I'm like, I'm looking at the list no, here. Oh, this these is the people. one with Diane Lane. Yeah, this one was... Okay, never mind. This completely different movie. I rescind your statement. Completely <laughs> romantic comedy. Yeah, what are you talking the bills. about? Huh? What are you talking about? Uh, the one with Uma Thurman and Janine Garofalo about uh, dog walking. Yeah, I thought that was this movie too. Like I, huh. I've seen both of them, but I got I got the two flipped as well. Yeah, I can't think of the name of that one, but this one was. What was yeah, that movie called? I know the movie you're talking typical. about. Typical. If you know that movie, call us. Let us know. Oh, hold on. Oh, come uh, on. What was that movie? Um, it was uh, uh, Bugue Guest. No. It was um, Wizard of Oz. The truth about cats and dogs. There you go. There you there go. You go. Yeah. Tip, yeah, never mind. This was a standard love story. All right. So uh, after this, he does the ice harvest and jumps back in with Billy Bob Thornton again. Oh, this movie is awesome. I, I really enjoy all of the like him and Billy Bob Thornton as kind of like fuck up thieves that uh, plan to rip off their boss, Randy Quaid, and are screwed by the weather. 
the uh, there's such severe weather that they can't safely make it out of town. And there's all these twists and turns as uh, people from John Cusack's character's life get in the way. Uh, it's got Oliver Platt as his like fuck up buddy who uh, married his ex-wife and moved into his house with his kids. Huh. Well, directed by Harold Ramis, so that's another reason for me to watch it. Yes, yeah, you really should. Yeah. It's solid. <clears throat> All right. So after that, he's got the contract playing opposite Morgan Freeman. Any of us see that? Oh, I don't crap. Think any of us I may did. have seen this one. That's all right. <laughs> I, it was forgettable if I, if I saw it, though. Uh, Grace is Gone, where he plays an army veteran caring for his two daughters. Nobody saw, none of us saw that. I don't say nobody saw that. I'm sure somebody did, but I want <laughs> to get to, somewhere. I want to get to 1408. You do? Man, I wish I had oh, seen this. Am film. I the, am I, come on. No, Pat, I'm the only one who didn't. Oh, you're the only one who didn't. Pat, Joel. Yeah. Yeah, you, I saw that think? in the theater. Mike Enslin, he plays a author whose goal is to go to these haunted places and just write about them. Where, write like a travel book about haunted locations. Right. And nine times out of ten, I mean, except unfortunately this tenth time, um, he's, he's writing it's about. A total skeptic. Yeah. yeah. Complete skeptic, able to disprove everything, but still writes about how spooky it is. You know, that's kind of, ooh, it's a scary hotel type thing until he finds out about room 1408. At the peacock? Is that the name no, of the dolphin. The dolphin. I knew it was some animal. Yeah. Uh, he plays opposite. The manatee. Yes. No, the, man- the dolphin. <laughs> the dolphin. He plays opposite Samuel Jackson in this one. And he is, it's based off a Stephen King story. It's pretty much on his own for the majority of the film. Yeah. That's the thing is less. he carries the movie entirely by himself. Yeah, do not please enter. Please don't give away the ending. No, no I won't. No. Josh, uh, Josh, if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. <laughs> I do. You do. It's Stephen King. It's John Cusack. And it is one of the things about this is that his, I, I'm, not, I'm not giving anything away when I say that his daughter has died. I never died. saw it coming that, that John Cusack was an alien. I never saw it coming. No, know, right? right. It wasn't oh. until the very end when they had the thing up the hoo-ha. Can I put my headphones back on? Wait, I should put them back on before. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, I could totally rip my headphones out, and I was like, "Wait, I can't actually ask if I can put them back in. I won't be able to hear <laughs> right. the answer." We wouldn't spoil it. No, we're not spoiling. I'm just saying <laughs> you need to see it. For as much as you said that I need to see the uh, the ice harvest, you need to see 1408. Well, okay. Well, let me get my chance for you guys to give me a hard time because when this started, like the first half an hour, I was in 100. percent Loved it. Was like, oh my god, this is going to be amazing. And then it turned into every other. Supernatural Hollywood big budget crap fest, and sure. I I did not like it. By the sure. end, I was like, man, just it man. seemed like they kind of lost their way a little bit. But I thought that the ending was fine. They they threw everything <laughs> and the kitchen sink in there, thinking that more is better. And yeah, I I, 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 I left it feeling. And I watched this before we even were going to do the show. I watched it just on a night where I was like, oh, cool. I've been wanting to see this. And I was really let down by it. So oh, I liked it. Josh, and watch I'm right it. in the middle. So yeah. Yeah. Watch it, Josh. <clears throat> Let us know what you think. 2008, he narrated Summerhood. 2008, though, he also did War Incorporated. Uh, you forgot The Martian Child. The Martian Child? Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. 2007. Yeah. We haven't seen that either. Yeah, I mean, it was... He adopts the kid, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's a science fiction author, adopts a kid after his wife dies. It's one that I knew about but hadn't gotten around to seeing. It's another one of those where I think it's... I want to say it's a really relatable character, just looking at the description of the movie. Right. And War Inc. is another one of his, hey, I'm a hitman. Yep. Uh, Then 2008, he does Igor, or Igor. Uh, Joel and I have seen this because we have children. Well, and it's... The funny thing about it is, well, you got Steve Buscemi and... 
it's a bunch of other people in it. It's really, really dark. It's not for little kids. Um, I, I would say it actually is ten and up, maybe. Yeah, I mean, come on. It's I mean, here's here's the rundown on the characters uh, for the non-children owning ch- guys. <clears throat> owning? Uh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry, leasing. Uh, <laughs> With an option to buy. Uh, yeah, later on I can buy it 15,000 miles. Uh, <laughs> John Cusack, Molly Shannon, Steve Buscemi, uh, Eddie Izzard, Jay Leno, Arsenio Hall, Christian Slater, and then John Cleese. Those are all uh, names. Those are all names, yes. <laughs> Directed by the same guy who did The Road to El Dorado. Well, film, I yeah, mean, it's good. I, I really like it, but I, it's not a movie I would recommend for, for little kid. No. And Cusack plays Igor. Right. 2012, Pat and I have seen this one, and it is a what the hell. This is literally the the biggest movie he's been in financially. It's Roland Emmerich, hundred thirty something million, and it is. I think is it this one that's listed as the most scientifically wrong movie of all time? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I mean, I've there, seen... there are times when they fly plane, planes under collapsing buildings and stuff. It's... Yeah, I've seen just enough of this to know that I don't need to see all of it. No, you really don't. Yeah, there's there's like moments where they take off even though there's no ground underneath them, like they wouldn't be able. To, you know, that's weird. That works. Yeah, right. Uh, one weird thing about this movie, it has actually been not surprisingly well banned in North Korea, uh, and people that have possessed or viewed. That's the strange part. Yeah, it <laughs> it is um, with grave provocation against the development of the state. Is uh, I don't. I don't know. But or cake. Yeah, but apparently there was supposed to be a TV spinoff from this one, where they all live on a boat. Every season would just go up a year. Apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a disaster movie. It That was a disaster. It was, yeah, it was terrible. With the, with the arcs at the end. And yeah. And at the end, I'm just, I mean, the, through the whole movie, I'm just going, John, why? It made financial sense. Yeah, I know. I mean, it really did. But, <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, you got to pay the bills. Hot I mean, if he got himself a piece of that $130 million, Right. Good job. Same reason Brad Pitt did World War Z. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And then later on, he does Hot Tub Time Machine. (laughs) That's a great movie. Stupidest, one of the the stupidest kind of, when you hear the, the, the plot device, you're like, really? Is this a real thing? Pretty funny though. It it's is pretty, pretty funny. <laughs> it is really funny. It's uh, it's. I, I like when um when oh god I can't Craig Robinson like must be some kind of hot tub time machine. He just breaks the fourth wall and looks. Like, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm actually looking forward to seeing this. I just haven't gotten around to it. It doesn't take itself seriously. It knows what it is and it plays up to that. Yeah, yeah. This is almost uh Lane from um Better Off Dead. In a, in a movie where he's an adult. Grown up, yeah. Yeah, gro- this is grown up lane. It, and it is funny. It's stupid funny. You don't respect yourself the morning after at all. But And it, it has a sequel that Cusack did not sign on for. No, he, he had a Which cameo. Which is why I'm wondering why they have him listed. Well, he's got a cameo in it. I don't remember that. In the po- he, has, he has so distant. He had a cameo in it where it was only shown on the director's cut. Ah. Uh, yeah. A sequel? Yeah. Hmm. Now, uh, 2010, he does Shanghai, a mystery thriller, thriller, another one of these uh, noir movies that he does. This one he's playing opposite uh, Ken Watanabe. I really want to see this. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. Yeah, it's, it's like I a think... World War II spy movie. I think it's on Amazon Prime maybe right now. I'm not sure. Yeah, it might be. Uh, but it's on my list. The Raven, <clears throat> where he plays... Um, Crap, why can't I remember a writing, Edgar, a writing guy. Yes, he he plays uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Very unlikable Edgar Allan Poe. Yes, 
Um, From what they say, he was very unlikable. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know. Edgar Allan Poe, apparently, in, in this, murders are occurring in the same themes of his movies. This is a really... Yeah, I'm sorry, in his books. Uh, really gory. <clears throat> yeah, yeah I, I only got through about half an hour today before I ran out of time. But yeah, the, the scene with the, the pit and the pendulum take. Oh, yeah. Pretty gory. Yeah, I was expecting when, like, when the pendulum swung back and I'm like, oh, they're going to cut away. Oh, they didn't cut away. Not this time. Yeah, oh, the, okay, the they'll cut away. Yeah, they'll cut away on the second. Oh, they didn't cut away on this time. Oh, okay. Apparently we're going to see this man get cut in half. Now we're going to linger on this for a little while. Yeah. But he, he does right, a really good job of. Hey, do we want to like stop? Josh thinks his mic may have broken. I got it. I, I got it now. Oh, okay. Oh, we'll mark this time button. down. The, no, the, the USB was screwing up and you guys kept coming through the speakers and then it would cut out entirely. Okay. Hang on. I just write. can't touch it, apparently. <laughs> and I may have to uh, go out and buy a new USB cord for it or something. Well, that's not too bad then. At least it's not the plug. All right. So 2831. Yeah, I just got to make sure I don't bump it at all because right now it's super sensitive. And uh, right. if uh, if you have anything to say about um, the Raven, you I haven't seen it, it so. so okay, okay. And we can just pick up with the paperwork. <laughs> all right, five, four, three, two, one. All right, so uh, Joel and I are the only two who have seen the Raven. Which, if if you're going to watch it, I mean, he he does a really good job of playing the character. I mean, obviously, we don't know what Poe is like because there's no like other than writing about him. But right. he's he's because the history on him is so Poe. Uh, he's interesting to watch in the character so just right. for that alone it's worth what i saw anyway so 2012 the paperboy but also the factory which joel saw which is another one of these mystery movies yeah it was him and um jennifer carpenter it's a bit more of a not independent but it's not a major hollywood release <laughs> it was okay it's it's forgettable but um it's worth watching once if you like him and you like kind of serial killer type movies yeah. he's not the killer but Hey, it seems like, oh, no, it seems like he's doing more action flicks as it's getting later, later in his career. Like 2010 on, he seems to be doing more. I mean, even, even the Raven, it's kind of like he's doing this detective work type thing. And he's getting more into the kickboxing. Right. Maybe more athletic. Yeah. And And the numbers station, his next one, which none of us have seen. That's another action flick. Yeah. Yeah. Plays an F, uh, CIA operative, uh, and who is sent to kill a man. Why is it with him and Hitman? Hitman, yeah, it's very much... Kind of strange. All right, but uh, Adult World, Josh and Joel have seen that. I really do want to see it. Oh, it's... I really love it, and it's mostly because of Emma Roberts. Um, I, I think that a lot of Emma Roberts' early stuff, like before she... Now she's kind of typecast since her turn on American Horror Story as kind of the princess... Uh, almost uh paris hilton type characters Mm -hmm. but uh in this as this like totally clueless poet who hasn't had enough life experience to understand that you can't have tens of thousands of dollars in student loans and be living with your parents and think that you've like lived enough to contribute something worthwhile to the artistic community and she ends up determined to like figure out how to be an adult and she ends up working in a sex shop and stalking her favorite like punk era poet who was played by John Cusack. Nice. Yeah, it's it's a coming of age story. She has a complete character arc. All the characters are really well written and 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 three-dimensional and Cusack is just on point. I mean, he he takes that character and just plays it. I I was this is one of those movies one of the two that I was mentioning where if if I would have been in college, well, my screenplay that I finished is similar to this. Um 
that I, I just really would have connected with and still did. It was, I agree with Josh. Excellent. All right. So after Adult World, he did uh, Frozen Ground, where he played Robert Hansen. And uh, that is Nick, Nick Cage, John Cusack, 50 Cent, and Vanessa Hutchins. Interesting. That's cast. a weird mix. Yeah, right. I remember seeing the previews for this and just did not look great. Yeah, plays a cop. Uh, nobody's seen it, but then we move on to The Butler, which nobody has seen, where he plays Richard Nixon. <laughs> the hitman Richard Nixon. Yes. Right. <laughs> I, what? Yeah. I don't know. I, I know. Yeah. I know. It's it's on Netflix right now. I need to see it I, just to see him play Richard Nixon. So, but right. uh, uh, Josh and Joel saw Grand Piano, where he uh, plays more hitmen. I love Grand Piano in because it's this mashup of speed. Only instead of driving a bus, you've got a concert pianist playing a piano. Yep. And uh phone booth where John Cusack is off screen almost the entire movie. He only has one line where you can actually see him. Wow. And he basically is, is uh going to murder the concert pianist. Uh I'm blanking. Oh, and his wife. And Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, a great turn by Elijah Wood, who, like the concert pianist, who was already nervous about his return to the stage after having choked on a incredibly difficult to play piece. It's his first time performing, and this guy has a sniper rifle trained on him and his wife, and said, "Miss a note, and you die." That's right? So crazy. Yeah, it's it's, it's <clears throat> really. I agree with Josh. I mean, it was really well done and um intense and and cusack literally has to sell it with just his voice like Kiefer sutherland did in phone booth i, I agree the comparison is, phone is booth there was not good though i like well phone booth. and this basically the challenge with this is so much of the movie is cusack with just his voice and even though you can see lots of other people i mean there's the rest of an orchestra and there's an audience it's almost entirely uh, Elijah Wood on a stage playing a piano with John Cusack talking to him and being able to have actual palpable tension with the whole movie being that it's pretty cool. I mean, the, the only other characters you really see are his wife and Alex Winter from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure playing the, uh, the co-conspirator. All right. I, oh, wow. That was Alex Winter. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, just the way it's shot, the music is just stunning. But then you throw in the good story and you've got a solid, a solid film that really was under. I've actually under, just stopped reading the, the, uh, I, not the, uh, Wikipedia description of this. I really want to see this now. Under the radar. Yeah. It's on Netflix. So. Yeah. I know. I, um, I saw this and I saw the bag man. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here we are. I, I, Josh I told us. Everybody watched the Bagman because I, this was the first one I watched this week. Uh, I was like, John Cusack, Robert De Niro. How could this possibly be bad? Crispin oh, wow. Let's show you the way. Here, let us surprise you. Um, it, again, he plays a hitman. Hitman. I'm going to, John Cusack, if you are out there and you listen to this show, let us know why you're always playing Hitman. And, and this then, is another one at a motel, going back to my uh, gag at the beginning of the show. Yeah, and he is is supposed to pick up a bag, deliver it to uh, Robert De Niro, never open it. Yeah, do not look inside the bag is the big deal. Yeah, but again, he's also uh, got, he's also very, he, the reason De Niro wants to do this is because he's trustworthy. He knows that in the world of guys that are crooks and thieves and con men, this guy is honest. So mm -hmm. again, he's playing that same kind of character that 
Yeah, my feelings about this movie are actually sort of complicated because the acting's not bad. There's an interesting concept. There's interesting characters. But, like, the script is such a fucking mess. I did have – there were a couple times in watching this where I had to I had to take a moment and go, okay, what has just happened? <laughs> Process it, yeah. Process it. Where are we going? How did we get to the hotel room? I don't recall us going back. Why are we no longer in the hotel room? Why did he leave? Why is he not with the girl? Okay, now the girl's with him again. Why did she show back up? You know, it's... it's. Why does no one in this movie have more than one dimension? Yes. Yeah. He cares about the girl. Then he hates the girl. Then he cares yeah. about the girl again. Yeah, it's it's all over the place. Um, I, I think th- it's a stylistic choice. They're trying to keep you on your toes, but instead it just translates into a mess of a movie. Well, and, and you this- can... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you can kind of see why it's all over the place and kind of a mess, because the single weakest performance in the entire thing is the director. Uh, the director of the film plays the lawyer at the end. Really? Yeah, that really wooden, like, uh, uh, stuffy British dude <clears throat> huh. was the guy who directed the movie. Wow, that's... Well, and this is another one that I chalk up there with my sensibilities as a writer in college. This was what I thought was cool. And it, it it's... It really is all over the place, and it feels like something from about 1996 in terms of the way the story's put together. And by the end of it, I was like, what? And you're right. It stuck with me, and I'm still thinking about it, which says something to the movie. But at the same time, I can't say that I liked it or that I hated it. I just... I don't know what to make of it. Right. And that's why I wanted to make sure, because this was one that I couldn't recommend it, but we should have, I wanted to make sure you guys saw it so we could talk about it. Yeah. I, this one really, it, it's like the script needed another rewrite. It needed another pair of eyes to go over this script and go, you know what? If I were to take some red string and thumbtacks and plot this thing out, it would look like a, uh, one of those string art things from the seventies. Yeah. It's all over the place. I, and I really, I mean, John Cusack plays a hitman. Okay. I'm 50% in right there. Yeah. And Robert De Niro's a mob boss. Crispin Glover is the creepy motel owner. And then you've got Rebecca DaCosta, who is ridiculously hot and has no acting talent whatsoever. No. Oh, and then you've got, um, oh, what's his name? Dominic Purcell as the smarmy, greasy police or sheriff. Yeah. I don't know. I and it, at least they tell show you what's in the bag at the end. Not we're not going to tell you, but you at least get to find that out, which I thought they weren't going to play up, let you know. Although I figured it out. Yeah, yeah. I it, it it again had a lot of potential, but then after that he does Maps to the Stars. Hey, David Cronenberg joint with Julianne Moore, which Cronenberg is interesting director. Yeah, I I'm I want again. I want to see this. <laughs> Question mark. But uh, Pat and Joel watched Drive Hard. Go ahead, Pat. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was. <laughs> I want to hear what you think because I don't want to let. It on was. What it I was thought. a typical driving type, you know, movie that didn't really have a whole <laughs> lot of plot to it. It was just they needed all kinds of, of excuses to have car races and and show off little driving stunts. And I don't know. I mean, it was. I don't know. I, I watched it. That it's, I'm never going to see it again. I liked uh, Kusak's character. He was actually pretty entertaining. But I didn't give a rat's ass about any of the rest of the movie. I mean... All, all puns intended, it's it's a Cusack, John Cusack vehicle. Um, it, it's about Thomas Jane as a, as a former race car driver who's now a driving instructor. He Cusack comes to take a lesson. He ends up robbing a uh, quote-unquote bank, stealing a bunch of... Um, what do you call them? 
Barabons. Barabons, right. And forces Thomas Jane initially to go on the lam so that they can get away with all the money. And eventually they kind of become friends, quote unquote. And uh, there is a lot of action and car chases and John Cusack shooting two guns and not really killing anybody, but being a badass. And it all takes place in Australia near the Gold Coast. And I just thought it was a damn fun movie. I really, really enjoyed it. The ending was a little bit kind of, oh, God, what just happened? And it's not something that would have ever played in a big theater. But if you want to see Cusack really just play a really enjoyable character, and Thomas Jane is also very enjoyable, the two of them are pretty much the entire movie. And to and me, that was... they have pretty good worth. rapport between the two of them. Exactly. They got good chemistry. And it's just a, a, one of those movies you just... It, put it on and enjoy. You know, there's nothing yeah. to it. I mean, I didn't, I didn't dislike it. I didn't hate it. I just, I'm never going to see it again. It, there was n- no real substance to it. No, no. In the end of the day, you're not going to change anybody's world. But Cusack was cool, and I would, I would like to see that character fleshed out some more. But anyway, it's on Netflix. Check it out. All right. <clears throat> so the Prince. I started watching this, and then 45 minutes in, I saw no Cusack, so I stopped watching. The end. And very little <laughs> Bruce Willis. Very little Bruce Willis. Uh, as for as much as I like Jason Patrick, this was terrible, uh, a, a horrible, I can't find my daughter, I'm going to go f- search for her because I'm an ex-military badass movie. Oh, one of those. Yeah. Moving on, Love and Mercy, uh, where Let's he plays see. Brian Wilson. Yeah, this is one I didn't get around to, but I want to see. Yeah, it's another one of those, it's, uh, this is another one of those under-the-radar ones where, I mean, it. the cast again, John Cusack, Paul Giamatti... Elizabeth Banks. Uh, Elizabeth Paul Banks. Banks. Yeah. Um, it just a gr- looks like it's got a great cast. Looks like it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great, like, biopic. Um, didn't get to see it. Reclaim. He plays Benjamin. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen it. This is it. like generic thriller. Okay. Louise Guzman in this one. Uh, I took, I rented Dragon Blade because when I see Jackie Chan, John Cusack, and Adrian Brody as the headliners, I am really, I'm, I'm, you're in. I'm in. Yeah. Uh, directed by Daniel Lee. This is the guy who does stuff like, uh, Star Runner. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a Chinese movie about the Silk Road where Jackie Chan, who plays the protagonist, is the leader and the general of the protectors of the Silk Road. The ones who make sure that Silk Road, the trade, le- the trade lane, uh, trade road is safe. In the meantime, John Cusack, who plays Lucius, who is a Roman uh, a general who has escaped Rome after Adrian Brody has tried to kill his younger brother by poisoning him. So Cusack, uh, Lucius, grabbed the brother. They escaped with his, uh, uh, he's a centurion, so he's escapes with his, his troops, and now they're on the run from the Roman legion. Adrian Brody plays a psychotic older brother who has killed his younger brother. It is, it starts out like almost like an after school special. Huh. Where Jackie Chan and John Cusack fight. Where a guy, okay, let me take that back. Jackie Chan and a guy who kind of looks like John Cusack fight. <laughs> and they have a sword. I mean, you know, now that I know what I know about John Cusack and the whole kickboxing thing, I'm a little bit more sold on the idea of him being able to pull these, these stunts off. Where it's, you've got this Roman legion and Jackie Chan that have to rebuild the, uh, I keep calling it the Grey Goose. No, it's, but it's the Wild Geese Gate. <laughs> I keep calling it the Grey Goose Gate. <laughs> Grey Goose Gate. I, I have issues. Um, and it's, there's a, uh, uh, like a, 
uh, montage scene where they're rebuilding the walls of the great the wild the wild Greek <laughs> the great God bless it the Goose Gate uh, where they're re- rebuilding the, the wild walls Turkey Gate. wild Turkey Gate that no that's wrong too um, <laughs> and then finally Adrian Brody shows up. And there's a lot of great action in it. There's a lot of good, uh, uh, fighting scenes in it. Um, not to spoil things, but this is based off a true story. And at one point, Jackie, uh, Jackie Chan walks in on John Cusack, who has been strung up crucifixion style to a wooden pylon and has his eyes gouged out. Hmm. It right. makes a rapid turn away from the after school special that I thought it was. <laughs> it's, it, it, it would. I liked it, but I think it would have been better if I knew more about the history of what was going on. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't <clears> one that was originally targeted at a United States office. No, not, or uh, audience. Audience. No, not at all. This one. This one. I mean, it's. I mean, if you look at the uh, the uh, Wikipedia page, it's in Cantonese for, yeah. for the initial the initial title. Um, it's it's good. John Cusack plays a great character as Lucius the uh, Centurion and. You know, also, he plays, a, you know, Adrian Brody plays a psychotic really well in this. And Jackie Chan, for being 63, 63 years old, he's uh, somewhere around there. He can still carry it, man. Jackie Chan, 61. 61. For 61 years old, he could still kick all of our asses and not break a sweat. Him and Cusack together. Right. So I liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was good. It's just, once again, not, it's, it's a foreign film. Right. So then uh, Pat. Went and saw Hot Tub Time Machine 2. <laughs> Which apparently John Cusack is only in, like, the unrated special features. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was wondering why he he was it was listed in his uh, discography here because yeah. he was not in it. I remember that. I remember yeah. walking out of the theater going, well, I guess Cusack didn't want anything to do with the second one. Yeah, he did a cameo that was on the DVD special features. Hey, he's on the DVD. So, and then 2015, Chirac. One of the reasons we Father decided Mike to Gordon. do this show. Yeah, yeah, because this was a really big film, uh, and this was a big controversial film for Chicago. Um, and it was controversial for a bunch of reasons. Uh, the first of which is uh, it's a Spike Lee film, which in general have a measure of controversy uh, controversy around them. Also, Chicago's mayor uh, tried to shut the production down, tried to not give the film uh, tax credits, tried to force it to be renamed because he felt that the title of the film uh, reflected poorly on the city, which shows that he missed the fucking point. Right. <laughs> um, let's say that it's it's a... Well, explain what it is. Cause. Well, that's the thing is a lot of people, this uh, had very mixed reviews at first because I think a lot of folks hoped that Chirac was going to be like Colors or Boys in the Hood or New Jack City. And that's not what this is. This is a retelling of a play from hundreds of years before the birth of Christ in ancient Greek uh, called Lysistrata. It's a musical and the whole idea is that in the original, the women of the village punished their men for uh, getting involved in wars uh, by withholding sex until peace would come. And it's transported into modern day Chicago with the Trojans and the Spartans as opposing street gangs on the south side of Chicago. And, and oh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, and then they're. Women, uh, one of them being the, the pro- main protagonist, Lysistrata, um, decides to follow that same logic and they withhold sex from their men and it turns into this worldwide 
phenomenon due to press coverage and everything else where everyone, all the women are starting to do the same thing. Yeah. And things get bigger and more ridiculous and more implausible because of the way it's told like a classical Greek play, but with a modern spin. So like the, the structure of everything, this is not necessarily an easy movie to watch, especially if you're not prepared for that. And I know Pat, you can speak to that. <laughs> or uh, maybe he can't. Would you like me? Oh, I, 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 yeah, no, go ahead. I, I mean, let was... you continue whatever, you, whatever you were saying. Um, okay. First of all, I went into this movie not having a clue what it was going to be about. I didn't know. The only thing I knew was that, that Cusack had a role in it. Um, it started off, and I, I didn't understand. I didn't realize at first, you know, the cadence and the way they were talking was was a stylistic choice, and it was, you know, and and when I, I looked up on IMDb to find out a little bit more about it, and I realized what was going on, I'm like, oh, okay. So I tried to watch it again, and I stopped it after a while again because I was just like, I'm just not into this. It's just not doing anything for me. I don't want to watch this whole movie, and I and I forced myself to get back and watch it. I watched the whole movie, and. The problem that I have with this movie is the same problem that I have with most Spike Lee movies is the fact that he just, he doesn't understand subtlety. He never has. And I think satire is always best when it's handled with a, with not, not kid gloves, but with, uh, with subtlety. I mean, it, if you smash people over the head with your subtlety, with your, with your message, with your satire, it, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna lose because people are just gonna tune out. Like the, the entire scene with the colonel or general or whatever he was, you know, in the bedroom when she's seducing him and tying him up and everything. It's just, oh, General King Kong? Yeah. I mean, that was just a ridiculous scene in, in so many ways. And I know he's trying to be more over the top, but it's just one of those things where he's losing his message because, I personally think that that the message that he was the, the message that movie was trying to convey is a is an, a great message and it should definitely and it should not be lost in the shuffle like it was in this movie. Well, and I mean, there's something to be said for this is an important message and it has to be said loudly. And I, I agree. But, but they're 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 a hundred percent losing their target audience with the system I mean, of delivery that they're that they're doing. Who do you think is their target audience? Because it sure as hell isn't us. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're trying to appeal to the people that are actually doing the gangbanging and get them to stop, they're not going to watch this movie. Well, that's a fair uh, criticism, and this is one that I, I remember I had the same criticism of uh, the new remake of The Great Gatsby, where I enjoyed the hell out of both films, but I kind of questioned while I was watching is it. like, I like these, but who was this made for? Yeah. Right. I mean, this this just feels to me like a vanity project for Spike Lee, where he can just be like, you know, I feel like I'm doing something, sending out the right message. I was like, yeah, you're sending out the right message, but it's the wrong way. Well, right. And even though uh, John Cusack's character is a supporting role, he has one of the biggest scenes in the film. Uh, yeah, his, that, that, yeah, his, his uh, well, not really his, his, his eulogy. Yeah, yeah, it's his eulogy, his sermon at the funeral of the murdered girl. Eddie. Yeah, and uh, his character, Father Mike Corden, is directly based on the actual Father Michael Flieger, who is very active. Uh, same deal. Born on the South Side, went into the priesthood, decided this is where I have to take my message. This is where Christ took his. And uh, his sermon, uh, very powerful, awesome scene. But again, I, I, I mean, it was a great scene. But again, it's just one of those things where it shows how you can get all the people pumped up all you want, but they're, I mean, that's not going to change things. You, right. can, it, you can, you can get all the fervor together that you want when everybody's together, but when they're by themselves, they're not going to stick to that. He, he made a, a movie for us that is supposed to be speaking to the people of the inner city. 
and somehow I don't know if it just he was trying to convey the message a different way or whether he was doing that intentionally to have it cross different platforms and he he they very into the movie he made it very clear what the point in the movie was i mean it was it, it was very heavy-handed which is yeah it's, i mean like everything spikely is very heavy-handed and a, a lot of spikely yeah well yeah okay everything is that, that was definitely a, a wide brush but i'm i'm not a spikely fan overall i mean there are just there are ways to handle certain things and i just don't think that this movie did a very good job because and also just besides even the message just the straight up acting I mean, it's a tough road to try to do any kind of old school um, Shakespearean type language, very flowery language, and make it sound genuine. And that's the problem. I, you know, the problem I have with a lot of actors is when they say the words in the script, it sounds like they're saying words in a script instead of well, like words yeah. out of their own, you know, soul or whatever. And that's what I felt this entire movie. It's like they spent all their time memorizing the lines and the moves and everything that they pretty much lost the soul of the movie. And I disagree with that. Yeah, I think that it was, uh, like you said earlier, a stylistic choice where them falling into verse was this is a play. We are showing this is a play and uh, we're not going to condescend to uh, our audience by saying that uh, we're not smart enough to appreciate something that is from ancient Greece and has this sort of structure. And uh, I, I, I thought it was effective because it was so stylized. I, I, I get you, even though I don't 100% agree that uh, it was heavy handed, but I enjoyed the put on nature of it and thought it made the whole piece more powerful. I so, just thought it spent a little too much time romanticizing the gang life before it tore it down. Well, Joel, you were trying I, to get in there. No, I was just going to say that, I mean, having uh, the three of us having met doing Shakespearean style drama, well, comedy in that case. I mean, we know coming from that history that it's not easy to take those words that a lot of times don't necessarily make sense in modern the way we talk. But if you can take it and put the emotion into it that belongs to it, I, I think that's that a challenge. Entire, the only person in the entire movie I thought really did that truly was Samuel Jackson. Oh, he did it well, and I I thought that uh, Nick Cannon, when he slipped into verse, was fine. Um, uh, Tiona Paris, who played Lysa Strata, she he's was gorgeous, fine. By the way, just absolutely stunning. What? Yeah, he said, we she's lost gorgeous. Um, Tiona Paris, uh, she uh, seemed natural when she slipped into the verse. Um, I, see, I just I didn't think I didn't think she was, but I didn't mind. See, I thought everybody that was sure. was in it did a really really good job of taking something that was not easy to say and putting the appropriate emotions and actions to go with like, it. The specific scene that made me stop watching it the first time was uh, the scene between Angela Bassett and um, the main character. I can't think of her name. Lisa Strada. Yeah, and um, I just I don't know. It just it just felt very stilted and i was just like Ugh, no thanks stopped that was the first so one. did you enjoy it joel i mean we kind of heard from pat and me obviously <laughs> oh, we, we've declared our i guy really enjoyed this I, i'm I gonna follow not. some well i'm Sorry. gonna fall somewhere in the middle leaning more towards your side josh just because enjoying that style and appreciating spike lee's work uh, on the whole i i thought it I, I really found myself involved for the entire film, start to finish. And even though it was heavy handed and it felt a little bit forced at times, it's, I think it conveyed the message it was supposed to. I just, like I said, I don't know who it's for. So it sure. felt like it's more for our audience. But at the same time, something you said, one of you said earlier, 
you you're if you want to get to that audience you want to also not dumb it down for them you know if if that's they you're elevating them to the fact that they they you know maybe that's what they're into maybe they get maybe they like that sort of thing i don't know and they're going to get it just as much as we are well and there are some parallels between the rhyming sort of style that you might find in an ancient greek play and modern rap music and 100 percent i i also uh what was pointed out to me uh after we finished this by sarah my wife she's like how hard was this movie to make for jennifer hudson who actually lost somebody to violence on Chicago right. South Side. Right. Yeah, her, oh. her son, what was it, mother and son? I think they both got shot. Well, and that's another reason that, I, you know, I felt like the actors involved were um, investing themselves in it and taking the words and bringing them to life in an emotion, in, emotionally and physically. And I thought she was one of those people that embodied that. And I just never got emotionally invested in this movie. So available wanted, on Amazon Prime. I really did want to. I wanted to get into it. I just didn't. Yeah, I understand why it was controversial, but uh, I I enjoyed the heck out of this one. Yeah, I agree. I don't know that I would watch it again, but I really enjoyed seeing it. All right then. <laughs> is Mike asleep yet? Mike Mike is here. Mike did not see the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Let you guys go now. Uh, we are in 2016. He is coming out with a uh, cell. Which is going back to, uh, the 20, 2014, 20, what was the name of the movie, Josh? 2012, uh, yeah, 2012. Well, this is, uh, based on no, the 2006 no, novel I'm by sorry. Stephen King. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm looking back to Stephen King 1408. Where he plays a hitman in jail. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, this Jeremy one. Piven. Yeah. <clears throat> and a no, boombox. This one, uh, he is a New England artist and a mysterious signal kicks over the global cell phone network and starts turning people into vicious animal animals uh kind of like a zombie-esque type movie i'm guessing well yeah cell was, a, cell was a pretty big book when uh stephen king came out with it uh, back in 06 and uh i'm looking forward to it it's after a lot of people feel stephen king's best work was sort of behind him this is one of his big hits in terms of books so uh, i haven't read the book i'm looking forward to seeing the movie and we'll probably read the book before it comes out definitely all right. <clears throat> so, going back, are we on this conversation? Are we all still fans of uh, John Cusack? Where do we sit on the scale? I I still like him. Yeah. I, I mean, I yeah, it's okay. I celebrate his entire catalog. I love Cusack. Yeah. Always have, always will. Yep. Same here. So, uh, next week we are doing the X Files show. About damn time. I well, we've spent. I mean, we've been on the air for two and a half years now. We've been trying to find a reason to do an X Files show, and trying to, you know, we talked for a long while about doing a a show that was uh, X Files versus Fringe, which would be awesome, but would involve watching, you know, for those of you who haven't seen all of Fringe, and you know, I think all of us have seen all of X Files, but I mean, it's it would be very uh, viewing intensive. Yeah, yeah. Once we seen- heard. What's I was going to say, I haven't seen all of them, uh, the original X-Files. I've seen probably a third of them. Uh, once we heard they were doing a basically a new mini season of six episodes, we we're like, okay, this is perfect. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the new season of six episodes and the classic show on Fox back in the 90s. Right. So uh, next week is going to be the X-Files show. And if you're looking to catch any of our older shows, they are filling up rapidly uh, in reverse on uh, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TalkShoe. And coming soon, eventually, come on, Google, Google Podcasts. But uh, if you're looking for our shows and you have a podcast aggregator or a podcast app, just punch in 40 going on 14 and we'll pop up. Uh, if you also want to give us a call and see uh, 
you know, if we have an idea for a show or want to give some commentary or, you know, like Charlie just maybe want to yell at us, uh, call us at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. I want my $4. Two dollars. No, it's been in, in it's inflation. It's, inflation. Oh, it's four dollars okay. now. Yeah. yeah. Grandma got high and kidnapped a school bus full of penguins. So, uh, movies just re- we released this week. See, you know, three beers is good, one bottle of wine is not. <laughs>